0: hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: Great. Well, keep that open. And uh, yeah, when I talked about the Israelites being blockheads, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I read the Old Testament and uh, particularly you know the Exodus or Genesis, and I, I look at the Israelite people, and, you know, God, God revealed himself to them in power, didn't he? But as soon as things didn't go as they wanted, they, they straight, straight away, they slipped back into disobedience, distrust, fear, mumbling, compa- complaining. I mean, I would have loved to have tasted manna and quail, and yet within days, they're like, come on, give us a Big Mac, give us a bit of variety. They were, they were so quick to complain, and it was almost like they would disobey and then they'd have to go through the consequences of that, and then they'd be restored back in a reliable relationship, and then they'd disobey again, and it was an endless cycle. And I think, what a bunch of losers. And then I think, more reflectively, I'm so fickle as well in my own journey with him. I'm so quick to get discouraged. I've seen the power of God, and yet I can lose sight of that so easily. Maybe you relate to that as well. I think uh, that's our common experience, isn't it? But anyway, I'm not Moses, and you are not the people of God, but in a sense, that's, that's what this looks like now in terms of context. And I'm, I'm just going to, I'm gonna fire about nine bullets at you. What do I mean by that? Um, I remember being in Burundi, listening to a gun battle going on. And playing a weird guesstimation game. How many people are dying right now about a mile away? That's a weird thing to be in, isn't it? And I remember guesstimating, 20 minute gun battle, thinking I reckon about 100 people have died in this battle. And then the next morning I received a tweet uh, it was the tweet, the tweet of the dead body from the previous night's battle. And essentially, of the thousands of bullets that were sprayed over that 20-minute period, only one had hit the person and achieved its intended destructive purpose of taking life. Are you with me? Uh, so all the others missed the mark. Now, this, this evening, I'm going to spray a whole load of choices at you, bullets at you, and I'm not praying that all of them hit you. I mean, all of them apply to all of us. But we can't handle that much challenge in one go. So I just want to say, you know, in a sense, what bullet is for you this evening? What does the Lord want you to receive and what are you going to do about it? Those would be the two questions to, to leave you with. And by the way, preamble, that, that green thing, that iPad, if you want to pass along now. Basically, wherever I go, I think some have already been going back. And if you didn't know what it was, this is what it was for. Basically, wherever I go, I've seen you've got loads of great mission partners doing cool stuff. Be it in Sudan or, or Kenya or Tanzania or France or Egypt or wherever, wherever. Lots of different... Keep supporting them. Bless them. I'm not after your money. I don't want you to come to Bruni, but you could pray. That's what I'd get out leaving here tonight is more people praying. I think I'm still alive because people pray. So if you want to sign up, put your email there and you get some of these cool stories and you can journey with us on that level. So that's what that's about. Um, so, right, let's go for it. So let's look, look at the passage. So Choose Life is the overall uh, title if you want the title of the talk. And then I'm going to fire some bullets at you. So the first one is, are we going to choose clarity or trust? Are we going to insist on on clarity, on having all our ducks in a row as we follow Jesus, or we expect him to follow us on our terms, our convenience? Are we wanting to have it all together and be in control? Are we going to accept a pretty foundational uh, truth, whether we like it or not, is that you are not in control? None of us here is in control. We'd love to be in control. We're not in control. We're about in control of 15. I was listening to podcasts on the way here this morning. 15% of our life we control. There's a whole load of stuff outside of our control. Now, that could be really fear-inducing, and that would be one of the bullets in due course. But actually, we don't need to be afraid. we just got to trust. I think it's good to recognize that we like being in control, but if you insist on being in control in your relationship with God, then actually you might have a faith, but you're not living by faith. So this is challenging, it's a challenging bullet because it's, the bullet is either clarity or trust. And it's difficult but not impossible. So verse 11 says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, but that would imply it's quite difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply it's a stretch. We've got to stretch out of our comfort zones. Do you remember Genesis chapter 12, Abram, when God calls Abram he says, leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land I will show you. He doesn't show him up front. He says, just go. And as you move, you'll get more revelation. And I'll show you where you're meant to go. Mother Teresa, her house of the dying Calcutta, she received loads of volunteers. And on one occasion, this brilliant ethicist came along. His name was uh, James Cabana. And he, I don't know whether he's taking career break, but he he, he definitely wanted clarity for the next chapter of his um, journey, if you like. And he was really excited on the first day because as a newbie, Mother Teresa came and sat next to him. And she said, um, hi, I'm Mother Teresa. Anything I can pray for you? And he's like, yeah, bring it on. This is what I've traveled 6,000 miles for, for the great Mother Teresa to speak into my life. And he said, yeah, yeah, please, pray that, pray that God gives me clarity for the next chapter of my life. And her indignant response shocked him. She said, no, I will not pray for clarity for you. Clarity is the last thing you are holding onto and you need to let go of. He's like, What? I mean, you great, the great Mother Teresa, it looks like you've got loads of clarity in your life. She said, I have never had clarity in my life. What I have had is trust. Uh, so I'll pray for you that you trust him. So do I have a faith this evening? There's more to it than that. Are you going to live by faith? And living by faith means relinquishing the insistence on control and saying, bring it on, Lord. I don't know what that looks like for me. This morning I shared how I prayed, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. And this guy tracks me down and says, I believe God sent me to you, he wants to go to Burundi. I went back to my job in front of the computer and said, God, right now, if that was you and not some nut job, give me a radical sign about Burundi. And the phone rang and the voice on the other end said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? I mean, that was a dramatic call. You don't argue with that, do you? And from the get-go, I went out there. The first email I sent when I arrived in Burundi was, guys, I'd had my money stolen of me. I was down to 200 quid in the world. And I was like, bring it on, Lord, because either you're not real, and then, you know, I'll crawl back to England and eat humble by and get a normal job in the city, or you are real, and I know that you're real. And 1 Corinthians 5.24 says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Philippians 4 verse nine says, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. I trust his promises. So the first email I send out, guys, money's been stolen. I'm shafted unless the Lord intervenes. Um, and I need a computer. And a mate of mine in Whitehall woke up this morning and he prayed, God, I've got this computer. Who do you want me to give it to? And he switched on the computer. Ah, i got this message. You know, God gives where he finds empty hands. Our challenge is our hands are stuffed full, aren't they? So it's much harder to receive in the same way. And I've got loads of those stories. Are we going to insist on control or will we just trust him? Clarity or trust? That's the first one. I think we're all nailed, aren't we? Because I know that's... I, now, I'm, now I'm in Bath and I'm tempted to want to control my life. He says, no, just trust me. Keep taking risks. Keep not settling for a domesticated Jesus. Come on, Simon. Keep walking in obedience. That's the next one. Obedience or disobedience. Verses 14 to 16. I'll summarize them. Basically, if you disobey, there are heavy consequences. Like for the Israelites, what are the consequences? Only two of them over the age of 20 got into the promised land, which was Caleb and Joshua. Everyone else, the disobedience led to them not entering the promised land. So are we going to obey or are going to disobey? And it says if you obey, it will go well. If you disobey, it's going to go horrifically. You know, this is challenging, isn't it? Because I like being in control of my life. So, but obedience means submitting to a higher power's agenda on me. And Jesus talked repeatedly and drew a correlation between love and obedience. Three times in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. 1 John 5, 3. This is love to obey his commands. Philippians 2, he's our model, Jesus. He learned obedience to death, even death on the cross. And the great American theologian, uh, Tozer, he said this. Every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find that the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. The next time it will move you less. And the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. Now think about that. I I can think of key moments in my life as a follower of Jesus where I basically said, no, I'm going to do things my own way. I've hardened my heart. I think of being at university and dating this girl and ending up sort of shacking up with her and just hardening her heart and not saying, God, you're not, you're not invited into that area of my life and getting taken out. And I don't know what obedience looks like for you this evening. It could be a relationship that is destructive, whether it's a sexual relationship or whether it's just a, a relationship that you know someone's just dragging you away from God, dragging you down. It could be uh, financial, reprioritizing, disobedience, where he's called you to sow something sacrificially. It could be It could be an initiative he's calling on you to to make, to be proactive in terms of sharing your faith, or something he's just calling on you to do. It could be a reprioritizing of use of time. There's all sorts of ways that the Lord is speaking if we'll get off social media and just spend time listening to him. Obedience or disobedience. You'll learn more from five minutes of obedience than from ten years of study, said someone. And as we move with God, he'll guide our steps and he'll guide our stops. Obedience or disobedience. Next one. And all these, basically, imagine Moses saying to to the people of God, so the Israelites were disobedient. The Israelites loved it when it was all clear. But, you know, when they were called on trust, they were fearful and distrustful and complaining, all those things. Next one. Uh, Cynicism or action. And the Israelites were a cynical bunch, weren't they? So cynical, so negative. But, hey, this nation, we are so cynical as well and negative to boot. Now notice I've given the choice, the bullet is cynicism or action, not cynicism or optimism, which you, you might think so, but the antidote to cynicism is not optimism, it's action. Action that's born out of hope. And listen, I'm so preaching this to myself. I've had so many sucker punches and so many reasons to not be hopeful in the Burundian context. I mean, 25 years on, we are still the hungriest, poorest country in the world. I have been, I have been deceived, betrayed. I, I've had plenty of reasons to give up hope. But you see, the advantage of of adopting the default of cynicism, which many people have, and I'm not going to say hands up here who are the cynics, but you know, if you have middle class economic security, which cynics tend to, not all, but you, you don't need to take care of anything beyond your own immediate needs for things to be okay. And someone characterized essentially two groups of people. He said there are cynics and there are saints. They're the only ones that view the world realistically. Everyone else is some delusional middle middle ground. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. And hope is because there's an empty tomb and Jesus has risen from the dead, the ultimate enemy. And so there is always hope and there is hope for Burundi and I'm going to give the rest of my life. for for my precious and brothers and sisters out there. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but please don't give up hoping. Please don't settle for the comfort of of hardening your heart and just that default of self-centered cynicism that just means you only take care of your own. I wonder if that's bullets for anyone. The next one, urgency or apathy. Now, the Israelites, you Israelites, you know, we had sporadic bursts of urgency, didn't we? When... uh, pharaoh's crack charioteers were up our backsides as we legged it through the desert we legged it as well but but actually very quickly out of crisis mode we settled back into a default sort of languid apathy and if you look up at me right now i wonder where you would self-diagnose on a scale let's say we had sort of passionate urgency this end in our pursuit of christ in living out our faith there and we had sort of sort of languid apathy here i wonder where you'd self-diagnose now i don't think any well hopefully no one's right here but i suspect we like well I, I i wish i'd moved a bit further this way and and maybe this bullet is for you because it's been it was easy for me to live with a sense of urgency in Burindi because i'd listen to a gunfire and found out that my mate's head's been blown off or i've drove along a road and i got in the evening News report, 40 people got killed and somehow, by God's grace, I got through. Or a guy comes to my house with a grenade and he's written me a letter saying he's going to blow me up. I couldn't kid myself that I was living in peacetime. But as I said this morning, there's loads of bombs falling over your patch here. Apathy. Comfort. Materialism. Distraction. And we need to live ready. We need to be awake to that. And if we are awake to that, then we will be infused with a greater sense of urgency. Matthew 25, I was once preaching on that on the Congolese border, and uh, it's the parable of the ten virgins. Remember that story? Those ten girls, they all had a role to play. They were all invited to the wedding party, but five just weren't ready. They didn't have enough oil. So when the belated wedding party showed up, the girls woke up and they trimmed their lamps, and five had to nap off and go buy some more oil. Meantime, those that were ready, they went in, door was shut, party time inside, because that's a picture of the kingdom. And then the, the late girls showed up, and they said, can we come in? And they heard this horrific pronouncement. I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Now, some of Jesus' parables are very nuanced and, you know, hard to understand. Some are seriously not rocket science. And this is one of those obvious ones. I had three points. Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? I don't think anyone's going to argue with me on that one. That's what the parable is teaching. Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? So I preached that on the Sunday. To this crowd, a whole bunch rushed forward because that's how they respond culturally. And, uh, but I, I suppose a bunch maybe sat at the back saying, no, you know, Jesus is going to cramp my style. Or, or maybe I'll turn to him when, when I need him. But frankly, I'm fine. I want to sow my wild oats a while longer. I don't know what reasons. You know, you're in your own head. But whatever the case, two days later, I was on my motorbike and I was heading towards that village. And I was stopped by a mil- military Checkpoint, And they said, you cannot proceed any further to Gatumba because there's been a rebel attack and all those people are getting killed. And it hit me as never before, the urgency of our message. Because two days before on the Sunday, they had heard, Jesus is coming. And he came on Tuesday for them, didn't he? That was the end of their lives. Now, I'm not wishing that on Croydon High Street. You know, there's going to be an ambush. Uh, by the FNL rebels, but, but it does make you sharper. Do you see what I mean? And I think some of us, we need that wake-up call to live with a greater sense of urgency. Lord, move me along that continuum. This is the day. Today, now is the day. Now is the time of salvation. Let's live like we believe it's true. Next one, gratitude or grumbling. I mean, the Israelites, they were, they were pff, gold medalists, weren't they, grumblers, uh, complainers. I mentioned the food, you know. Love Manor and Quail. They moan straight away. Now, they were—they were, in their day, they were, they were gold medalists. I think we Brits, not all Brits, but speaking as a Brit, what's our national pastime? Moaning. We're so good at complaining, aren't we? We are amongst the most blessed people in the history of chapping humanity. And yet, we're so quick to complain. And uh, listen... Yeah, well, I, I mentioned, didn't I, that guy coming to my house with a grenade to blow me up. Was that a fun experience? No, it wasn't a fun experience. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Why? Because he said he's going to cut out my eyes. And faced with the imminent loss of these two piddly little things, let alone the death threats of killing my whole body. It's like, for the first time in my life, I said, thank you, Lord, that I can see. Thank you for the gift of eyesight. I don't know if there's a blind person in the house, but ask a blind person. Whether sight is a gift or a right, it's a gift. But the the sort of epiphany, Kairos moment for me was like, God, there are so many things in my life that I I feel entitled to. That I take it as rights. And they're not They're gifts. And so, the biggest gift Bryn given me is the gift of gratitude. And that is a great gift to have. Because grateful people are happy people. And gratitude is deeper than happiness. You know, joy, it can defy circumstances. But, you know, this is a life skill for some of you. Because I don't know you. But I know that some of you, you walk into a room and you suck the energy out of the room. Because you're so grumpy and complaining. And, and if that's you, that's a bullet for you. I don't know you. So you can't be too annoyed with me. But, listen, this is a life skill. So there's a book out there. It's a piddly book for those who don't like reading. And it's it's an exposition of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to get on the altar in surrender. That's essentially what it says. Now, this is the life skill. It says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. The Greek word there for mercy, it's plural. It's mercies. So when I'm tempted, as I assume all of us are, because we're just fickle duffers, right? When I'm tempted to discouragement, I go through the mercies of God in my life. I can see. And I've got 10 of these in my house that I turn and clean, life-giving water comes out. I don't have to walk five hours a day with a jerry can on my head to and fro to get water that doesn't kill me. The unreached people group that we, that we sort of were part of leading to Christ out in, out in Burundi, they had a life expectancy of 27 before we showed up. Largely because they didn't have access to clean water. What an unbelievable gift is clean water that we completely take for granted. Uh, education. I remember a 15-year-old, precious young lady on one of our youth camps. She stood up, convicted by the Spirit, and she, she confessed to sleeping with a priest to get three quid for her school fees. And, and by the way, I don't judge that girl at all. Because if she didn't do that, if she didn't get three quid for her school fees, she'd still be illiterate in first grade. We're just not faced with that issue in this country, are we? So there's no room to judge. And we've got clothes, and loads of clothes. I think of... A girl, i got a photo of her, she, you know, she, she'd never taken the clothes off her back when she arrived at that orphanage. And we got freedom in this nation to share our faith. What an incredible gift. There's 300 plus million brothers and sisters around the world. On that podcast, my podcast two weeks ago, it was Timothy Cho, this North Korean, twice escapee. The North Korean church, unbelievable suffering. They don't have that freedom I had a mate of mine, actually, it was a missionary in China. He came out of China. He'd been, out, he'd been in England four days, and we were going for a walk, and he was processing his experience with me. And it was almost a bit of a confessional, because he said, Simon, every day in China, I do something to get myself arrested. Every day, which is to share his faith in that environment. Not allowed. He said, I've been back four days in England, and I haven't done anything arrestable. Do you hear what he's saying? Where he was out there, on that continuum of urgency and effort he was right there, making the most of every opportunity. You've been at four days. I mean, give yourself a break. You're just decompressing a bit. But it's like he hadn't done anything. He hadn't shared his faith. And have you done anything arrestable in the last month? In the right. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's make the most of these opportunities. But all these grace gifts in our life, you know, access to the National Health Service, however strained and a breaking point it is, as my pastor's 18-year-old brother died in his arms, again, for the lack of three quid, for the medicine across the counter and the chemist. I've had umpteen times, but I've got three quid, so I'm allowed to tell the tale. And we moan about the National Health Service. And can I say this with grace? The next time you're moaning about the National Health Service, I want you to picture me standing next to you and punching you in the face. It's like, be grateful. There's, just, there's so much. Hear that in the right way. There's just so much to be grateful for. Gratitude or grumbling. <laughs> That's some of us. Next one. Faith or Fear. Faith or fear. Again, the Israelites, such a fearful bunch of people. They saw the power of God. He protected them. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, part of the sea. You know, they saw the, He did loads of stuff for them, but they were so fearful. As soon as they didn't, you know, clarity and trust, they didn't want to trust him. And, you know, I want to say to you, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, your birthright is to live by faith, free from fear. Now, a lot of us are not living our birthright on that one and we certainly live in a country, and what I'm gonna say now might annoy some of you, but you know it's not controversial. During lockdown, we were bombarded by daily curated information that, that behavioral psychologists lined up because they wanted, because COVID was serious, hear that. But they wanted a certain conformity to behavioral patterns and fear was the designated tool to make that happen. That's not controversial, that's documented. The problem is that, the way our brains have been wired, hardwired now, makes it very difficult to come out of that. And, you know, we're not to live afraid. And obviously that was tested in extremists in Burundi. I mean, it's, it's, there's plenty of reasons to be afraid, afraid as people uh, try to kill me. But it was like, even like during the crisis, I'm, I've now got a wife and three kids, and so i like, is it going to cost me my wife? life? Is going to get raped? They're going to get killed? But we choose faith. We're not going to live by fear. And God protected us again and again. And by the way, I, I, I can't claim protection for protection. Because plenty of my heroes of the faith, loved ones did die. But, you know, many of you are praying. If you signed on that green thing again, God has used that so many times. Like my, my son swallowed some popcorn into his lung. And he started breathing like that. He was five years old. This is during the crisis. And my wife had agreed, we are not leaving. We have become Burundian. Incarnation means staying. We choose faith over fear. But he was like, he was breathing like this. He needed emergency surgery. So that's why they flew out the country to get emergency surgery. It wasn't a fear decision of, you know, we're leaving the battle. But thousands of people praying. On the day of his operation, he coughed. And out came this kernel from his lung. It's like the Lord had mercy on us. And I was able to carry on out there and just on the job and experiencing the coup and all sorts of stuff. And then a few months later, we're choosing to go back. So I'm flying to and fro. My kids spent a term at a school in England. And I asked my Burundian guys, full of faith, shall we come back? And they said, don't you dare bring them back. It's way too dangerous, apart from one. And so I came back to Lizzie. I said, look, they're all saying we shouldn't come back, but let's pray, let's pray, let's fast. Let's, let's pray for a week on this one. And at the end of that week, we both had faith to go back. But 168 people were killed on the day we started that prayer. Broad daylight, killed in the capital, dead bodies on the streets, the most fearful day since the genocide of 93. And that's when we're deciding to go back. But I went for a last walk on Southampton Common, that was where we were based. I'm like, Lord, this is, you know, this is Friday afternoon, decision at five o'clock. Both of us, Lizzie and I, peace in our hearts. We think this is right. Heaviest decision I've ever had to make. If If you're a father, husband, you'd get that. Well, you don't even have to be that to understand. But it's like, God, this is the heaviest. If anything goes wrong to them, no one's going to forgive me. Ever. And I'll have to live with that for the rest of my life. So in your mercy, it'd be great if you just blessed us with a, with a sign to confirm that decision. So I'm walking along Southampton Common. Walking along this path, piddly path. Another bloke's walking along that path, and our paths merged at the exact same moment. And that guy had been a missionary in Pakistan. He'd had death threats, like I had death threats. He had child kidnappings. He had all the stuff that I was thinking about, considering. And I was like, he spoke faith into me. And I was like, God, within a 500 mile radius, you could not have handpicked one person to be on that path in a similar situation. I mean, God is good, isn't he? He's merciful. And we went back, and it was totally fine. Totally fine. Because fear is often fear of the unknown, isn't it? And, and yet we live in a nation where we're shackled by fear. And I just want to say, hakuna matata. <laughs> it's a problem-free philosophy. Ain't no worries for the, next, for the rest of your days. I mean, sometimes, occasionally, Disney gets it right. You don't need to live afraid. And that is a bullet I know for some of you. Don't be shackled by fear. We could pray about that afterwards. Some of you, let's, literally, well, there'll be a time to respond in prayer. Last few. The way of comfort or the way of the cross. Now, clearly, this Old Testament passage was before the cross. Uh, but the Israelites, they like their comfort. We like our comfort. And yet Jesus is saying, actually, comfort is antithetical to the cross. Matt Redman's worship, someone given like a beggar but live like the rich. I crafted myself a more comfortable cross. <clears throat> Can comfort and cross coexist? So we've got to recognize we're in a culture that idolizes comfort. And we are called to the way of the cross. So that's a real disconnect. And Luke nine twenty three, Jesus made it very clear: if anyone would come after me, he or she must deny self, take up cross daily, and follow me. The suffering church, the persecuted church—they get it. The Western church, we really struggle to. And I want you to picture two thousand fifteen: the crisis kicks off April twenty sixth, and people pour out of the streets. And I'm preaching; it's a Sunday. I have to go to church sort of, and about 30 of the usual 150 of our church make it because it's really dangerous. Tweets are coming through of dead bodies, it's all kicking off. It was very frightening. And uh, I'm looking around our bruised body, and you just know, straight away, the country's gone back 20 years, overnight. 450,000 people fled the country, over 1,000 killed, and, and I'm thinking of Ephraim, his, his five-year-old daughter, she's got PTSD straight away. So every time she has gone up, she wets her knickers. She's one of tens of thousands of precious little girls, little boys going through that. And then Dizzy, he's there. He's got six mouths to feed and they're traumatized. They want to flee the country, but where will they go? And this is our bruised body. And you know what? It was so heavy, but God was so close. And I wrote a blog on the curse of comfort. And I had some reflections along the lines of, you know, we are called to be, to be thermostats that set the very temperature of our culture and not thermometers that reflect the temperature of the culture. And yet our challenge in the Western world is that it is invariably about comfort. And so it's hard for us to have that same level of experiential reality. And my corporate in the Western world, most intimate encounters with Jesus together with his body, where have they been? I hope you don't find this insulting. It's it's not with... Bath-type Christians or Croydon-type, well, you know, it's not, it's in prisons. It's with, with, on drug programs, you know, Teen Challenge or whatever. It's with with down and outs because they have obviously screwed up and they are obviously broken. And so they've been stripped of their, any pretense that they've got their life in order. And in their unpolished desperation, God is extremely close. And it's harder for us because where are the most lies told in a week? It's on church on Sunday. How are you doing? I'm fine. And we have this mask on. And what I I know, John, would dream this for this community here is that we're we're a place where we can be real with each other. And say, I haven't got my life all in order. And I need you And in this fiercely independent culture. No, we're interdependent. We're looking out for each other. And one's down. I'm helping him or her up. The way of comfort, or the way of the cross. I want you to know, if you're going through a hell of a time this evening, God is extremely close. I mean, He's close anyway. So that they're comfortable. But I think often it takes us being broken for us to experience that real closeness. The way of comfort or the way of the cross. Maybe last couple. The last two actually underpin all the others. So I've already said they all apply to all of us. But these last two are really foundational: rules or relationship. So again, if you look back at verses 14, 16, it sounds very transactional. Do this, and it'll go well. Don't do this, and you'll, you'll not live long in the land you're entering to possess. Now, under the huge umbrella of Christendom, be it Orthodox Christians, Catholic Christians, Protestant Christians, Pentecostals, all that massive umbrella today throughout the world, maybe two and a half billion, give or take, and hundreds of millions of Christians will have gone to a place of worship today a church. And hundreds of millions would have gone there, and their de- their articulation quietly would have been: I'm going to place a worship, tick a box, and hopefully God will accept me. That's a hundred millions. Now, hundreds more millions would have gone to church today, and what they will articulate they would probably articulate it. It sounds more plausible and sophisticated, but it's still wrong. They would say that the Old Testament was about law and the New Testament's about grace, the Old Testament was rules, the New Testament relationship sounds more plausible it's wrong listen crucial it was always about relationship a few chapters earlier Deuteronomy chapter 11 God says to the Israelites don't think I've chosen you because you're any better than anyone else I just love you I just want relationship with you and that's what he says to you this evening you know in Burundi there's loads of uh, Domestic violence. And, you know, you have to preach it up front very clearly. It is wrong to be your wife because it's socially pretty acceptable. It is actually in quite a lot, few cultures around the world. But there was this precious sister, and she was in a very broken marriage. It was a horrible marriage. She had a horrible husband. And he pretty much every night of their married life, he beat her. Because what he did before going to the office, he wrote her this long list of chores that she had to fulfill to his standard. And then he'd go off to work and she'd work her butt off to to, to do all those. Uh, But, you know, however hard she worked, he'd come back in the evening and, and he'd beat her. So she lived under that for however long it was. Horrific situation. I think we could say, praise God, he died. So she was released from this really oppressive, dysfunctional situation. Now, a few months later, she actually met and fell in love with a wonderful man. And this man never laid a hand on her inappropriately. He just nurtured her, encouraged her, made her flourish. And it was really healthy. And they got married. And a couple of months into this new healthy marriage, she's, she's like, I'm going to blitz the house. It's, you know, it's looking a bit uh, sketchy. So anyway, from dawn till dusk, whilst the husband was out, she just she beavered away. And just before he came back in the evening, she was just cleaning behind the sofa. And she pulled out a crumpled piece of paper. Can you, can you think what it might be? It's one of the old lists from the deceased first husband. And with trembling hands, she opened it up and she went through it. And you know what she'd done? She'd done it all. What she had never been able to accomplish, shackled by the fear of impending punishment and judgment and beating and condemnation in a healthy, loving relationship, she'd done it all. And I don't think anyone here is stuck with quite the extreme of that first husband, but there might be a bit of that in your perception of God. Can I assure you that He's very much like that second husband? There's a lovely story. Two more stories before I close. There's a lovely story at the end of um, it's a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, and it's a story in America, American educational system, of a guy called Steve, and he's got a daughter called Robin. And Robin is in this English literature class and she's got to do it as part of her degree to fulfill the, you know, the requirements of the course. And it's just consuming, it's eating her up. She doesn't think she can do it. She's not sleeping, she's not eating. And what, what, as a dad, what do you not do for your daughter, right? So he takes her in and he interrupts this lecture and this very wise professor, Jewish lady. Uh, and, she, and he says, look, ma'am, can I just talk to you about Robin? And she can see Robin's on the edge of tears. So she dismisses the class. And Steve turns to her and, and he says, um, ma'am, I'm... Please, can I can Robin do something else to fulfill the course requirement? It's just completely consuming her. It's really, it's bad for her mental health. Please, can we find some creative arrangement? And the lady said, Look, can I just talk to Robin? And he turned to Rob she turned to Robin, and she said, Robin, do you think you could do this course if I give you an A before you've even started? How about that? Would you do it then? Robin's like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I'll do it. All right, off you go, Robin. You've got an A. So Robin walks out, and she turns to Steve. says, Steve, I know Robin. She's going to be fine. And the lovely end of that story is that Robin went on and made straight A's on her own merit. But why am I telling you that story? Because of Christ's finished work, followers of Jesus already have an A. Amen. The threat of failure, judgment, condemnation is removed. We are in forever. Nothing we do will make our grade any better. Nothing we will do make our grade any worse in his life, by his death, through his resurrection. Christ, our substitute, has secured for us the the, the aid, the everything that we 've come in into this world longing for yet we 're incapable of securing for ourselves all the pardon, the approval the the purpose, the meaning, the significance. It's all accomplished for us in Christ. The operative power that makes you a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you a Christian, which is the incomparable, unconditional grace of God in the completed work of Christ. The banner under which we live reads, It is finished. So relax and rejoice. You're free. Amen? And we're so Anglican because that was such good news. And that should have been a humongous amen. That's such... Good shopping news. You're going to get out there this evening. You've already got an A. And that's a game changer to how you'll live. Rules of relationships. The so last one, choose life. Verse 15 or verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses before you that are set for you. Life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. My observation is that most people in the country, what they've chosen, their highest aspiration seems to be to arrive safely at death. And that is a really lame way to live. When Jesus said, I've come to have life and life to the full. Not life and a long life. He didn't have a long life, did he? He had a full life. So this is the last story. It's in a Kenyan village. Uh, During the night, there was a fire in this house. And the village uh, folk rallied to this house. They heard the screams of the family that caught inside and... And sadly, they couldn't rescue them, and all the whole family were killed. Apart from, at the last minute, someone did manage to get in there and pluck out the baby boy. And so the next morning, around the smoldering embers and the remains of that house, charred remains, the whole village assembled, and a sort of heated debate ensued, because according to their worldview... There was baraka to be had. There was blessing to be had in adopting this child because the ancestors had, had spared him. You with me? And so the witch doctor goes, oh, you know, there's serious psychic potential in this child, so let me, I will raise him uh, with, in, 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 in that sort of the secret arts. The chief goes, uh-uh, you know, I'm the chief. I'm going to have him. The richest guy in the village said, well, hang on, I've got the most... Dosh, I can pay for him to get the best education. I will take him. The neighbor said, well, no. Hang on, his father had an unpaid debt towards me, and I'll take the baby boy in lieu of that payment. And then this nobody on the social hierarchy, on the ladder of value in the village, guy from the right at the bottom stepped forward, and to everyone's shock, had the temerity to say quite authoritatively, No, the boy is mine. And everyone's like, what could be your claim? You know, who are you? And he didn't have to say much. He just opened his hands. And his hands were blistered and burned, charred. And he said, The boy is mine because I saved him. And Jesus' hands this evening, they are not blistered, burn child. What are they? Pissed. And he says to you, You are mine because I saved you. No one else saved you. You can't save yourself. Grace couldn't get out the toilet by herself. No other religion, no other belief system. Actually, that's all about doing good and hopefully earning God's love. No, we need a saviour. And He chose back to that verse. He chose death so that we could Jesus, so that we could choose life. He became a curse. Curse is the one that hangs on the tree. He became a curse so that we could walk in His blessing. And so this evening, brothers and sisters, you might never see him again. Who cares? We're all going to meet Jesus one day. And he said, I love you so much. The A is yours if you want it. Are you going to live your own way? Or will you come to me? And in the mix, you can have the freedom of trusting me. Rather than insisting on clarity. And yes, it means walking in obedience. And not disobeying. And that realization will infuse in you a greater sense of urgency rather than apathy. And surely you're going to be so grateful and, and pipe down with the grumbling. And you can be free from the shackles of fear to live by faith. And it's not a soft sell. So it's not the way of comfort. It's the way of the cross. And the other one I didn't mention, cynicism or action. So which bullet's for you, what are you going to do about it? As we go our separate ways tonight, maybe talk it with someone you came with, with spouse, friend, colleague, whatever. Process it in the coming week. Talk about it when you come back next week. But what bullet's for you, and what are you going to do about it? And there's a chance to respond in prayer. Stuart and do you want to come up now? And Natasha. And I before handing over to the Hush Now, I just want to pray a blessing on you. Receive it. If any of you were naffed off by anything that I shared or thought I was talking down to you, thinking I'm doing I'm, that's not my heart at all. So I just want to pray a blessing on you for a change of posture. Those that can stand, some of you can't, but if you can stand, why don't you stand just for a change of posture? And this is always, to me, the most important part of our time together, response time, where we've heard the word of God exposited. And we're saying, speak, Lord, your servants are listening psalm 139 why don't you shut your eyes and you can open your hands if you want to you don't have to but i like it that it was saint augustine said god gives where he finds empty hands and you know our challenge often is to receive because well it could be pride and god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble or it could be that our hands are stuffed full in our culture and god gives where he finds empty hands so i look at the palm of my hands right now and it's a position of humility of submission of surrender of vulnerability of coming empty handed, saying I want to meet with you tonight, Lord God. I don't want to settle for anything less than what you've got to give me. And you're a good father who gives good gifts and pours out his spirit to those who are hungry, and thirsty. And so, Lord, would you meet with your people here this evening? And would you bring, by your spirit, conviction of what needs changing? And Lord, thank you that I'm going out this evening with an A. Unbelievable news. And Lord, I pray that no one leaves here without receiving that aid. And so straightway, I pray for anyone who this evening who came in that couldn't yet say, I follow Jesus. I'm submitted to Jesus. I've repented and received it in my heart. And if that's you, come and talk to me afterwards. But just pray this prayer right now with me. God, thank you. I receive you right now. I'm sorry for the mess that I've made. I repent. I welcome you in. From this day forth, I will live for you. Amen. And if that's you, come and talk to me or John or Natasha or whoever after us. But Lord, for us, we just express our hunger right now to meet with you. Forgive us for where we've insisted on being in control, on clarity when you're calling us to not just have a faith, but live by faith, to trust. And Lord, forgive us where we've lived in conscious or unconscious disobedience. And this evening, we choose to obey. And Lord, forgive me for where I've settled for the default comfort of of, of cynicism when you're calling me to act action born out of hope and lord move me along that continuum from apathy towards urgency from grumbling to gratitude free me from the shackles of fear to embrace my birthright of living by faith lord i don't want to craft myself a more comfortable cross you're calling to me to something a whole lot deeper than that so no to comfort Embracing the good things you give me, yes, for sure, but not insisting or worshipping at the altar of comfort when you're calling me to the way of the cross. And Lord, I can only do that because it's about grace. It's about relationship, not rules. And so may we all, God, this evening again, I choose life. And may that be our prayer. So visit us in your grace and your mercy this evening as we come this time of response. Visit us and receive our praises and gratitude in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.